0: You're listening to Market Boldly, a podcast for executives, brand managers, branch managers, marketing directors, and sales managers in distribution who want to build their brand, stimulate sales, and drive profits. I'm your host, Katrina Olson. Thanks for tuning in. My guest today is Tim Montague, commercial solar developer for Continental Electric Construction Company of Oakbrook, Illinois. I was recently introduced to Tim Montague by a friend at a local Chamber of Commerce meeting. We got to talking and realized we both worked in the electrical industry and our backgrounds were both in marketing. So, of course, after connecting on LinkedIn, I invited him to be a guest on Market Boldly. So welcome, Tim.
1: Thanks a lot, Katrina. Uh, It's good to be here.
0: So, Tim, after we met, um, of course, I stalked you on LinkedIn, looked at your profile, and I was fascinated by your background, which is a combination of marketing, fundraising and sales, which are all related fields in my mind, because they have to do with, advocating for a company or solving some kind of challenge or problem and the organizations you've worked for the companies you founded have a strong sustainability and technology component why is this so important to you
1: yeah you know I learned very early on about technology because my dad is really into tech and computers and he's also interested in the environment and sustainability so I'm really just a chip (laughs) off the old block as they say And uh, I became an ecologist by training. I I have a master's degree in forest ecology from Wisconsin. But then I like to wander and I like to discover new things and I don't stay put too long. So I uh, became a recruiter. I did social work for a few years and then uh, did professional fundraising for many years, including here at the University of Illinois. That's what brought me to Champaign-Urbana. Um, and then, yeah, 18 months ago, I learned about solar PV, how we had reached grid parity, which we can talk about. but uh, And that was my segue back to working full time as a sales uh, consultant in the solar industry. Okay. And tell me about grid parity. What's that? Grid parity means that we can make renewable energy, so w- wind or solar energy, as cheaply as we can make traditional uh, power. So uh, in the Midwest, we have coal, nuclear, and natural gas primarily. So the price of solar PV, for example, has dropped 75% since 2010. And as demand grows, and there are now very good both federal and state incentives in many places, including Illinois, which is driving uh, adoption. And so as the volume goes up, the price comes down as well. So now you can make solar power at four cents a kilowatt hour, and you cannot make coal power for less than, say, 10 cents. So wind and solar are going head to head with other sources. And now you see this massive influx of finance into renewable energy nationally and globally.
0: So I know for the past six years, you've been sort of channeling your passion for sustainability into your role as a green building advisor um, and as a commercial solar developer for Continental Electric Construction Company. Can you tell me a little bit about the company?
1: Yeah. Continental is a 105-year-old electrical contractor uh, founded by Harry Witts in 1912. So he, Harry started the company when Chicago was just electrifying, and so he was oh, wow. um, you know, selling electric lighting. That was the, the, not, the hot new tech of the day, right, transitioning from gas lighting to electric mm-hmm. lighting. And now his great-grandsons, uh, David and Stephen Witts, run the company. And we're uh, one of the largest electrical contractors in, uh, in Chicagoland. We have 500 field electricians and 100 wow. uh, staff in the office in Oak Brook. And Continental started a renewable energy division in 2009, founded by uh, Brian Haug, who's been with the company for 22 years. And Brian is the president of the Illinois Solar Energy Association, very engaged in the industry. And, you know, we have about 60 to 100 megawatts of solar now in Illinois, which is which is relatively little compared to places like California that have around 20,000 megawatts. Hmm. But we got new legislation in uh 2016 that went into force in 2017 called FEJA, the Future Energy Jobs Act, which is funding $200 million in cash incentives in Illinois to project owners. So if you buy a solar system, residential or commercial, you get about 20% to 25% of that project value back as a cash incentive uh, because of this legislation. And what that is about really is funding our renewable portfolio Standard. So we, we we got a renewable portfolio standard in 2009 that says Illinois will have 25% green energy on the grid by 2025. Wow. And to fulfill that, you have to create incentives because mm-hmm. people don't know what solar is or wind for that matter. And wind and solar are both part of this. We have about 3,000 megawatts of wind today. We're going to add another 1,000 megawatts due to FEJA. We have about 100 megawatts of solar. We're going to add 3,000 megawatts. So we're going to see a at least a 30-fold, 30, 30 to 50-fold increase in solar PV in the next decade.
0: Wow, that's a huge opportunity for companies like yours and for the companies who sell products to you.
1: Tremendous opportunity. It's really a tidal wave of uh, growth. We see developers moving into Illinois now. So, companies from Massachusetts and Maryland and New Jersey and New York and California, because the, the, the coasts are where solar has really been happening. Power is much more expensive on the coasts. Mm-hmm. In California, you're paying 18 to 24, sometimes 30 cents a kWh. Here in Illinois, we're paying, uh, Four to ten cents a kWh, so a third or a half of what other places pay, and that just means that solar pays back more slowly. Yeah. But now we're seeing payback periods of four to six years, and that really gets a, a homeowner's or a, a business owner's attention.
0: Yeah, that's a lot shorter. Didn't it used to be more like ten or fifteen or twenty?
1: Yeah, it used to be ten to fifteen years, really.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, that was kind of a rule of thumb in the Midwest. Hmm. And so that's how FEJA really changes the game. It's a combination of things, of course, because the technology is getting cheaper and cheaper. And we have a federal incentive called the ITC, which is 30%. And that's good until 2020, and then it starts to phase out. Yeah. And then we have this 20% 20 to 25% cash incentive uh, in Illinois. So you're getting half off. And there's other incentives. Uh, there's a smart inverter incentive, which is about 5 to 10% of the project mm-hmm. here in Illinois. And then you have accelerated depreciation, which is another incentive for business owners primarily, uh, called maker's depreciation. So really, for a company, you can get into a solar uh, array for 15, sometimes 10 cents on the dollar. And then the free power that it produces, you know, solar PV is technology that produces electricity from sunlight. So you're getting a free fuel, that sunlight, Mm -hmm. and converting that to a a resource that is generally, you know, you have to pay for that. And so it just reduces your power bill by 50 to 75 percent. And that's how it pays for itself. And then, you know, once it's paid off, you have uh, free power for the rest of the lifetime of the system, which is 25 years.
0: Oh, that's pretty good. 25 years, you know, that's a pretty good investment. Uh, You said it started um, in California and on the coast and moved in because of the cost of electricity in those areas. Yes. Do other states have these kinds of incentives? I know the federal incentives, of course, would apply everywhere, but are are they past that point? Are we a little behind the curve on this?
1: Yeah, so we're, I mean, that's one of the good things about being a a little bit of a latecomer is we can recreate what other states have done. So our Future Energy Jobs Act, which is fueling what we call SREC, solar renewable energy credits, Mm -hmm. that program is modeled after what's already happened in Massachusetts and New Jersey, especially. Ah. Um, Because you don't want to you know, write your own playbook if somebody else has already created that because that's a lot of work.
0: Right, if they've already figured that out, yeah.
1: So yes, we absolutely are are copying what other states have done and there are different incentives. In Indiana, for example, they have what's called a feed-in tariff, although I think that just went away and a feed-in tariff says, okay, we're going to pay a special rate for the solar power so maybe two or three times what it costs to buy power off the grid and that's an incentive to system owners to go, oh, hey, yeah, it's going to help the system pay back faster. Mm-hmm.
0: And do you, as a company, do you go beyond Illinois, or are you just focused on it? I mean, we're pretty close to, obviously, Indiana and Wisconsin. Is your company looking at other states, or are there, are there reasons to keep it in Illinois for you?
1: Yeah, we are starting to work in other states. Um, I mean, we build data centers, for example, and we're building a data center in Iowa. Oh, okay. We've started to do solar projects in neighboring states. We're doing a solar project in Kansas. We're doing one in Michigan. Yes, we will work regionally in the Midwest. That's probably the extent of where we will work. Mm-hmm. We're part of the Electric Circle, which is a group of electrical contractors around the country that uh, you know don't compete with one another, but we share ideas and resources. And so, sure. um, our compatriots in the Electric Circle will eventually get into the solar game. But we're kind of at the forefront. You know, when you look at the solar landscape, it's mostly homegrown mom and pop companies that just got into being solar installers and then have grown up that way mm-hmm. um, and then we're kind of a top down where we're a big robust company and we've decided we're going to go all in into renewable energy because we care about it and you know we literally we buy fully in we have a solar array on our facility in Oak Brook we have a battery system in our basement mm-hmm. solar plus storage works very well because you can store the electric uh, the solar power mm-hmm. during the day when the sun is shining and then use that electricity At night, right? Obviously, when the sun Mm -hmm. is not shining. Yeah. And batteries also provide grid services that the grid operators mm-hmm. will pay you for. So there are economic benefits to installing batteries as well.
0: Okay, and I don't know if this is a good question or not, but can somebody sell that energy or is it mainly just for your own use?
1: Yeah, so there are definitely rules and regulations around solar, around utility-scale solar. Generally speaking, we're looking at smaller scale, you know, two and a half megawatt, either ground mount community solar projects or behind the meter for if you have, if you have like a factory that uses a lot of power you could build a two and a half megawatt ground mount or a rooftop but they're kind of limited to two and a half megawatts or below for for small what we call distributed generation and then there is going to be some larger solar you know 100 acre 200 acre solar farms but that industry is extremely competitive, and we saw in the fall, they do a auction for the REX in the utility scale side of things, and one company won all of the REX. Oh, um, wow. So we'll see. Um, huh. But in any case, it, the FIJA, you know, Future Energy Jobs Act, is designed to incentivize solar across the board, from residential to small okay. commercial to large commercial and industrial, and then to community solar, which is really the thing that everybody is so excited about because community solar makes solar energy available to renters or shady rooftop owners or people that just don't want to install equipment on their home. Mm -hmm. You know, you install a central array, could be on a piece of ground or a large roof, like a church roof or a school roof. Mm -hmm. And then you can sell that power to up to hundreds of uh, residents. We call them subscribers. Uh And then they're just buying the energy from that Via what we call virtual net metering, so it's just done with computers. Mm-hmm. Um, Minnesota has been doing this; they're kind of one of the leaders in the country. So we're following in their footsteps. Colorado, California, many states now have community solar. Now we have it in Illinois.
0: That's very cool. And in terms of those uh, incentives we talked about, I was when I was researching for this um, for this discussion, I found a website called. D-S-I-R-E, that uh, North Carolina State University maintains. I'm sure there are others. I guess what I'm getting at is where can communities, contractors, distributors, companies go to find out about these incentives in other states and learn more about the federal incentives?
1: Yeah. Desire, uh, that site that you just mentioned, is pretty much the watermark. Oh, okay. It's a well-maintained database of national incentives, um, you can also check out the Solar Energy Industries Association, the SEIA,
0: okay.
1: and um, that's a national organization for the solar energy industry. Here in Illinois, we have a state organization called ISEA, the Illinois Solar Energy Association. Okay. Yeah, there's a there's a handful of organizations that people can go to. I, I recommend Desire and SEIA. If you're not in Illinois, if you're in Illinois, just go to an ISEA. And then we also have a Midwest Renewable Energy Association based in Wisconsin, oh, okay. Uh, the MREA. They're doing a lot of what's called group purchase programs. We have one here in Champaign County for the last two years. We now have a megawatt of mostly residential solar. Thanks to MREA and Scott Tess here at the City of Urbana, who spearheaded a group purchase where the community agrees, okay, we're going to try to install 500kW worth of solar. We're going to buy that equipment at a discount. The bigger the buy, the cheaper the price. Mm-hmm. And then we'll offer a discount to residents and small commercial owners. And then they do a marketing campaign where they host local events at various and sundry places around the community, including in people's homes, but also at schools or you know landmark institutions, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And they get the word out and they put, you know, yard signs around and, and it works.
0: You sent me a flyer this morning that you're moderating a panel on solar for my hometown, for Champaign-Urbana.
1: Yeah, so for, for anybody in the in central Illinois, we're hosting an event on March 15th that's called Solar is Rising in Champaign County. Uh, that's going to be at the IBEW Local 601. And uh, there's a Facebook event Mm -hmm. The organizer is CCNET, Champaign County Sustainability Network. So this is a panel discussion where we're going to have people from local government, Scott Tess, I mentioned. We're going to have Ben Downing from uh, Nexamp, who's a uh, community solar developer out of Massachusetts that is now setting up an operation in Illinois. Uh, we'll have the EOPC, the Environmental Law and Policy Center. They're a regional environmental organization that is very focused on policy in the Midwest for clean air, water, energy, and transportation. Hmm. And they were instrumental in designing and passing FEJA. And then we'll have a, a speaker addressing low-income solar because there are some special carve-outs in FEJA for low-income. So we want solar to be available to everybody sure. in Illinois, not just You know, middle and upper income people or business owners. But these events are being organized. All over the state right now. I was just at an event yesterday uh, in Aurora, and um, you know there's one coming up in Page County, and and so the Sierra Club has been very active, mm-hmm. helping to organize these. Of course, the IBEW, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, has a real stake in the game, right? Because electrical workers are are very involved in the uh, building mm-hmm. of solar arrays. It's it is electrical equipment. You have to have trained electricians installing the equipment. So yes, this is a local opportunity but also it's happening all over and if anybody wants to have an event in their county if you're listening to this podcast just contact me T Montague at CECO, com. and I'm happy to help you organize a local event in your county as well.
0: Very cool. Um, so, we've talked a lot about these incentives and, you know, tax credits. Do you see these being around? Well, I know one of them after 2021, it goes to 10%. I think that's the solar investment tax credit. Correct. Do you see these continue? I know you I don't have a magic crystal ball, but <laughs> do you th- how long do you think these incentives are going to be around, and what does that mean for companies? contractors, distributors who want to get into solar, what, what do you say to them?
1: Welcome to the solar coaster, that's what I say. The, uh, <laughs> we have an expression in the industry because incentives do come and go, and the industry yeah. rises and falls on those incentives. All energy industries require incentives. We still subsidize oil oil and coal development and nuclear development in this country. Actually, the incentives for traditional energy are about three times what we're incentivizing for wind and solar. Oh my. But of course, when you have a good state incentive, that really makes a state a hotter place. And you know, Illinois is a hot state now. We're probably a top five construction state for solar, and that's why all the developers are moving into Illinois. Uh, It will last for about 10 years, and then it will ebb, and then we'll get additional incentives and it will flow. And California has been through several waves of this. Mm -hmm. Um, So yes, the incentives come and go. Luckily, the ITC was extended in 2016. And and now we have it through 2020. It'll then phase out for residential in 2020, I think. And then it phases down for commercial to 10% starting in 2022. And it'll stay at 10% unless the Trump administration changes that.
0: Okay. What are the other hot states? Just out of curiosity, you said Illinois is one of the top five. What are the other states that are really aggressively pursuing solar right now?
1: Yeah, um, some of the top states are certainly California, Massachusetts, New York State, New Jersey, Maryland. Florida has a lot of solar, mostly at the utility scale. They don't have incentives for residents to install solar on their rooftops, and, and industry mm-hmm. kind of dominates that state. So that's a little bit of a different situation, but they have good solar resources, and they are installing solar. You just don't hear about it as much because it's kind of a utility-scale thing.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, here in the Midwest, uh, Minnesota has been the leader now Illinois will start nipping at their heels in the coming years as we install these three thousand megawatts. There's talk that Michigan is going to become a good state, hmm. but it's TBD. Yeah. Really in the Midwest, the action is here in Illinois. But those are those are some of the top places. And you see solar happening a lot in the Southwest. Again, it's more utility scale. Companies like Facebook, they have these huge data centers. And they want to go green, and so they're building or buying power from solar farms. Hmm. A large data center could consume a 100-megawatt solar farm. Wow. Those are big, big projects, hundreds of acres.
0: So we talked about renewable energy credits.
1: Yeah, so the SRECs, as we call them, solar renewable energy credits, that's the state incentive. It's a cash incentive that is funded by you and me. So we're all seeing a little fee now on our power bill. Yeah. All residents and commercial off takers in Illinois, or ratepayers as we call them, are paying into a fund. The utilities collect that money and then they pay it out to the system owners. And the good news about that is the governor or the government cannot sweep those funds. And that was a problem historically with renewable energy credits in Illinois. But now we have uh, rules in place that prevent the government from sweeping those funds and using them for other purposes. Because as we know, Illinois is in a bit of a fiscal crisis yeah. at the state level. But these incentives are, like I said, they accumulate to about twenty to twenty-five percent of a system. Wow. So a residential system is around fifteen or twenty thousand dollars, and then you're getting twenty to twenty-five percent. So you know maybe four or five thousand dollars back. Yeah. Uh, That's paid out over five years. It's a production credit. So it's based on the actual, the amount of solar energy that the array produces. And that guarantees that somebody doesn't uh, game the system and pretend to buy a system, but then doesn't actually turn it on Uh, uh, or returns the equipment or something. So it actually has to uh, be metered and, and those electrons are counted and then...
0: That makes sense. So you mentioned the Illinois Smart Inverter Incentive, Illinois State Depreciation, Business Energy Investment Tax Credit federal modified cost recovery system. I don't know if we talked about that. That applies to depreciation, which I assume is, again, taken over time, probably on your taxes, I would assume. That's correct. So I know this is a a simplification, but it sounds like some of these incentives are applied immediately to your upfront costs, like the Illinois Smart Inverter Incentive, and some are spread out over time. Yes. And this is, as you mentioned earlier, on top of what they're going to save by reducing their electric bills every year. So I guess my big question is, let's talk money for a little bit. What is the break-even, maybe the payback period for these solar systems? The
1: ROI is much faster now because of the good incentives that we have. So we're seeing systems payback in four to six years. You know, in the first five years, that's really the payback period. So you've got the ITC, that's 30 percent. The SREX, that's 20 percent. The smart inverter incentive is 10% now, and then maker's depreciation is about 30%, and then the electric bill savings will be about 20%. So that gets you above 100% of payback in the first five years.
0: Wow, that's, that's huge. I guess I hadn't really looked at solar in a while, but I remember when we first started hearing about solar in Illinois, it was like, oh, the payback period is so long, and it's just not worth the investment. And now all that's changed.
1: It is. You know, the price of solar was about $100 a watt in 1975, and now it's less than $0.60 a watt. Wow. So we've seen a huge, huge decline in the cost of the technology. This is American technology. It was invented at Bell Labs in New Jersey in 1954. And uh, we just didn't hear about it so much in the 60s and 70s because it was strictly used on remote applications, either you know, really uh, remote off-grid or space mm-hmm. applications like satellites use them. And, and that was the main application. And now it's come down to earth. If you go to California, it's everywhere. You yeah. see huge tracks, huge neighborhoods of, of solarized homes and businesses And same in Colorado, it's getting that way in New York and and Massachusetts. And, and, you know, in 10 years, it's going to be Commonplace. That's exciting. And we'll see that solar plus storage also happening. You see Tesla coming out with the Tesla Powerwall and the pack, which is their commercial product, mm-hmm. and and electric cars. And that's the other real big tipping point that's coming down the pike here is electrification of transportation.
0: So cars and trains that run on solar? Is that what you're saying?
1: Yeah, cars, trucks, trains, somewhere between 2025 and 2030 are what experts are predicting for the tipping point when all new cars are going to be pure electric. Wow. And just because of pure economics.
0: So um, I want to ask you a question that would be on my mind if I were a contractor looking to get into solar. How do you get started? Or if I'm already in the solar business, how do I get a bigger piece of that pie?
1: So if you're an electrical contractor or want to become an installer, a solar installer, the first thing to do is pursue NABCEP certification uh, that's N-A-B-C-E-P. They're a standards body and they're really the gold standard in solar certification base. Uh, so they have a program that certifies solar installers and technical salespeople. You can install solar without NABCEP certification, but it's it's highly frowned upon. You know, most RFPs for commercial projects, they require NABCEP certification okay. uh, because it is the gold standard. Of course, all of the IBEWs are installing solar projects on site and uh, you know we have a solar array here at the IBW 601. There's one at the big training center in Alsip in Chicagoland. Mm-hmm. Because this technology is very important to the built environment, it's it's just a way to reduce operating expenses. If you're operating a large facility or a small facility, a home for mm-hmm. that matter, you want to save money on power, and you can do that economically now with rooftop or ground mount solar.
0: Mm-hmm. So really, any large building, any manufacturing facility, any large warehousing facility can install solar and probably see. A return pretty quickly and save some money on their power as well, right?
1: Exactly. Yep. You'll reduce your power bill by something like 50 to 75 percent. Um, If you can size the equipment to produce 90 to 100% of the facility's power, you know, the bigger the bill, the bigger the benefit. But like I said, even small buildings can benefit. We just installed a a 22KW system here in Urbana. And, um, you know, we didn't even have to fill the roof to produce all of their power. So the array is just 20% of the rooftop. And then I work with factories that could consume many times the 2.5 megawatt limit. So, you know, then we're just looking at building a a 2.5 megawatt system Um, We recently did this at the Joliet Ikea. Ikea built a regional distribution center in Joliet, so it was ground-up construction, and we built a 10-acre solar array on that rooftop.
0: So I know um, your company, Continental, has done a lot of projects recently in Illinois and the Chicago area. Can you tell me about some of the installations you've done? Yeah.
1: We've done a combination of uh, rooftop and ground mount systems, and then some hybrids, right? So, Grace Lake North High School, for example, in Lake County in northern Illinois, we did a 2.8 megawatt system for two different high schools that they own. We pretty much filled out their rooftop, and then we built a 1.4 megawatt ground mount array on a piece of ground that they owned. And then uh, we have also done quite a few solar plus storage projects at North Central College in Naperville. We installed a 560 kW solar array on the Res Rec Center there. That's a uh, the largest building on campus, and it's a it's a dormitory with a rec center in the middle. So they have huh. playing fields of you know basketball, volleyball. The solar array is producing about 30% of that facility's power. Wow! And then they also uh, wanted to do battery storage, so there's a 250 kW battery that comes in a conditioned container. Um, that sits on the roof. And then we've done a lot of retail, uh, especially Ikea's. We've done three Ikea projects in Northern Illinois. Oh, wow. Ikea is solarizing all of their stores uh, in the U.S. Those are typically around three-acre rooftops. Those are big projects for rooftop solar arrays. You don't see a lot of megawatt-plus solar projects in (laughs) Illinois yet. We're we're kind of the big dog in the big roof business.
0: So um, we, we touched on this, but you sent me a lot of good information about community solar farm or community solar garden. We talked about how that works. I guess my question is, where what is like the smallest area or situation where it makes sense to do a solar installation
1: for residential you know if you have a good sunny south facing roof you can do just a few panels and then the sky's the limit you know you can if you have a big factory of course you can do much bigger on a large roof and then you can also do the same thing on ground and you can do very small ground arrays or uh, or large and you call those solar farms when they get larger
0: so speaking of solar farms, one thing I'm curious about, of course, I'm in the middle of farm country. Yep. Um, do you foresee a time when farmers may convert to solar farms or is not—is the profit not there for them yet? I'm just curious. And has that something you've ever read about or looked at? Yeah.
1: So there is a phenomenon now where developers want to build community solar arrays or utility scale solar arrays on farmland. Farmland is desirable from a developer's perspective because it's flat and um, yeah. and flat is good for, for solar. So community is really the the opportunity for the most part. And and what the developers want to do is lease your ground. They don't want to buy it. They want to lease your ground. So if you're a farmer and you're leasing your ground today for cash crop, in central Illinois, you're getting around $300 an acre per year. Mm-hmm. That's prime farm ground. And then for a solar farm, a developer will pay 500 to to $1,000 an acre. So there is a financial incentive oh, wow. for a farmer to lease their ground. There has to be good access to three-phase power, so you have to be uh, adjacent to those power lines that have three wires running across the top. Okay. Or a substation or both. Um, those are good things to have. So we need infrastructure. We need access to infrastructure. Generally, a half mile or less is desirable. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, every county has different rules. So not all counties are solar friendly, but the developers are definitely scouring the landscape. And I can help farmers and landowners connect with developers. We Hmm. partner with developers. We're a contractor to those developers, right? We just want the construction to work. Mm -hmm. But we are kind of getting a taste for different developers personalities and they all have slightly different personalities. So Mm
0: -hmm.
1: reach out to me if you're interested in leasing your land, I can help you uh, get connected to credible developers that are, you know, doing these projects. And yes, that's going to happen here. Starting in Q3 of 2018, we'll see construction kick off on these projects. They do take about a year to move through the permitting process. You know, you're just driving metal pylons into the ground, and then you're attaching the array to those. You've got a few small concrete pads where you're putting inverters and and transformers, but there's very little permanent structure to a solar farm. Hmm. And then at the end of the lifetime or the end of the lease, if you want to convert it back to farmland, that's no problem. You just pull that stuff out, and away you go.
0: Is that a hard sell, do you think, for farmers who have grown up with that way of life, and now you're saying, yeah, don't plant anything. We're just going to, you know, set up some panels and run some wires. It's not
1: an easy Yeah. I don't, you know, it just depends on the personality and the si- situation, right? Yeah. Um, because it is a change. If you've been growing crops on a piece of land, mm-hmm. you're not in a hurry to do something else with that land, typically. But also, you may have hundreds and hundreds or thousands of acres. And so what's, you know, a solar farm developer only wants uh, 10 to 20 acres. Oh,
0: okay, so not not all your farmland, we just want a piece of yeah.
1: it. Yeah, It's a small piece. And, you know, when you look at the big picture, Katrina, in the U.S., we could produce all of our power by putting solar farms on just 10,000 square miles, so an area that's 100, 100 miles on a side. Mm-hmm. And that's you know a fraction. It's less than 1% of the landscape.
0: Yeah, that's not much, obviously.
1: And so literally we could produce 100% of our power with that area. It's a corner, a tiny corner of Illinois, yeah, so people don't have to worry about, you know, us paving over the planet with PV. That's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, we've already built roads and buildings on about six percent of the landscape in the u s. yeah, to give you a sense of the relative scale of what we need. So
0: Illinois, Nebraska, Indiana, there's so much farmland. it's It's interesting. That solar presents such an opportunity to them. I bet a lot of them are not aware of it.
1: No, I mean, I mean, they're starting to because some of the developers have been shotgunning letters to the landowners. Uh-huh. Uh, so literally, I'll talk to landowners who have received five different letters. Oh wow! Um, so they're just, you know, they're buying databases of landowners, and yeah. that information is publicly available, and, yeah. and then they're shotgunning letters to them. Um, And then there's more targeted approaches, you know, organizing community meetings like the one I'm organizing here in Champaign. I hope to attract some landowners uh, who want to learn about solar and community solar. Our enemy is just lack of awareness. People don't know what solar is. It takes a lot of education. I'm committed to that and being part of that part of that movement, so to speak. I'm happy to come talk to any group uh, or individual.
0: Yeah, and that's one of the things that fascinated me as I looked and learned more about your background is so much of promoting solar is education. It's just unfamiliar. It's still for us in the Midwest, kind of a new thing. You know, we've seen it in California and out West. Well, so much opportunity. I guess one other question I have because a lot of the people I work with and a lot of people I talk to um, day in and day out are distributors and manufacturers of electrical products. If I were a distributor, yes. um, how can I? what can I do to promote solar with maybe my um, yeah. contractors who aren't into solar yet? What can I do as a distributor to get them interested in solar?
1: Of course, there's lots of electrical gear involved in a solar project. There's pipe and wire, there's switchgear, there's combiner boxes. There's uh, panel boards, uh, there's inverters, and of course the solar panels themselves or solar modules is a more technical expression for them. So both the distributors and the installers or the contractors are, you know, have a potential benefit by getting into the industry. If you don't know anything about it and you want to learn more, just reach out to Continental. We have a group of project managers and people like myself that are doing project origination who can lead you in a certain direction and then reach out to the IBEW. The IBEW is, is probably a, a great local resource, and they're becoming more and more aware of solar and the opportunity for all of the contractors and distributors.
0: I know distributors are aware of solar, and obviously the contractors are aware of solar, but... Um, But as you said earlier, I think a lot of it's just education and learning about it, maybe contacting, like you said, the IBEW, maybe some of these associations.
1: Yeah, the Illinois Solar Energy Association, illinoisolar.org is the URL. And do most states have an organization like that? Many states have uh, statewide organizations. I would say upwards of uh, 40 states now. And then there's regional like the Midwest Renewable Energy Association. Okay. There's also an organization called Wind on the Wire, which used to be a wind organization but has segued into wind and solar. Okay. Based in uh, Minneapolis, I think, Twin Cities.
0: Well, Tim, thank you so much. Tim Montague from Continental Electrical Construction Company. And your home base is in? I'm
1: in Urbana. I'm the central Illinois office for, for Continental, but our headquarters is in Oak Brook in the uh, near west suburbs of Chicago.
0: And you're willing to travel a little bit, it sounds like, to talk to people about solar. Is that correct? Oh, a lot
1: of it. I'm happy to travel anywhere <laughs> in the Midwest, really, for a, for a good opportunity. But I travel all across Illinois, Okay. Uh, top to bottom.
0: So thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule today to talk to me about solar. I think there are a lot of incredible opportunities, so I really appreciate you taking the time to talk about it. Yeah, thank you, Katrina. My pleasure. My guest today was my new friend, Tim Montague, commercial solar developer for Continental Electric Construction Company based in Oakbrook, Illinois. Of course, Tim works out of uh, the Champaign-Urbana area here in East Central Illinois. Along with this podcast, I'll list some of the resources and organizations we've discussed today so you can learn more about the state and federal incentives available in solar. You've been listening to Market Boldly, a podcast for members of the distribution channel who want to build their brand, stimulate sales, and drive profits. I'm your host, Katrina Olson. Thank you for listening, and I hope you'll join us again. Find this and future episodes of Market Boldly on my website at KatrinaOlson.com or on iTunes or Google Play. Until next time, I encourage you to market boldly.